I was in junior high school. I had to get braces on my teeth. My mouth is small. My teeth were many, and they didn't all have a place to go. So they had to extract behind the uh, eye teeth up top and down low, a total of four. They took out my wisdom teeth, so I'm not nearly as smart. You should have seen me back then. I was smart. But I'm... <laughs> They took out my wisdom teeth, and then they put on the braces. Now, one thing I know about braces is every time you go to the orthodontist, they hurt after you leave and through the night and the next day, and you don't really feel like eating anything because your mouth hurts. And so you want to make sure you take something to relieve that pain before you go to the orthodontist so you don't have quite as much of a hiccup with the pain that will happen afterwards. Now, I had to have them on there for a couple of years because they don't just want to put them on, but they want to break the bones in your mouth that are around your teeth and let your teeth get to the new location and then hang out there long enough for the bones to reset. And that's how you can keep them straight after you've had them on for a while. And so they finally took them off and it was a glad day. But it took so long of a process, it seemed like it would never, ever end. From the day I got my braces... A few weeks later, I'm kind of like, man, is this over now? Can we get rid of them? Couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, even when they took them off for about a year or so, I had to wear a retainer. And a retainer was just like a superficial thing that you would put in your mouth, and it would just kind of sit there as a brace is used to and up on the top. And I'd have to wear that in the evening time when I was at home and, uh, and sometimes even sleep with that. It was crazy. The time I started to the time I ended, about three years it took forever. It seemed like it would never end. Some of these babies that have just been born, you know, it was months ago that the parents excitedly announced, we're expecting a baby. We can't believe it. Baby's on the way. Unbelievable time. Going to change our family. Going to be a great game changer. And they got all excited. But it was a lot of visits to the doctor. It was a lot of feelings of adjustment within the body of the mom. It was a lot of growth by that embryo into its, into its form and uh, discovery of boy or girl. And eventually, voila, they've been able to give birth. It was a long time between. The first advent had been talked about in the Bible. The first advent we're talking about is the time Jesus would come. We know that as Christmas and the nativity the prophets have talked about it since the beginning of the Bible for thousands of years, really. And then Isaiah talks about it 600 years or so before Christ would be born as one of the last prophets to talk about it. Christ would come, and so now Christ is here. And as he is here, he is walking the earth, and he's talking and teaching and meeting with people. And when we come into our passage in Luke chapter 18 today, in this parable that is really a profound parable, I've never preach from it before in my ministry, I don't think, but it is a worthy passage of consideration. Jesus in this passage is talking to them about his second advent that is going to happen. He has come the first time as a baby. He will come in the rapture. That is where we get the, the word rapture comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it talks about the church being caught up. The word rapture never appears in the Bible, but caught up is where we get our word rapture. So there's going to be a rapture. That's where the dead in Christ rise and the saints go up also with the dead in Christ and we meet the Lord. Then he comes at the end of the tribulation and he sets up his reign on earth, second advent. Now he knows just like with those braces, there's going to be a long delay. 
You're going to get frustrated. You're going to have times of pain. You're going to go through different seasons of development and adjustment. And he knows you're going to get discouraged, potentially. If you're expecting a child, you may have nervous moments when you're saying, I don't know what's going on with this baby. You're wanting to go get a checkup, do the heartbeat and all of this. And you're going through all of these different checkups. Am I right? If I am, say yes. You know I am. And so you continue through the journey. And so you need there to be the awareness that I'm on the right track. I'm doing okay. And so Jesus in this passage was talking not just to them, but I believe he's talking to you and to me. And he says, I'm going to talk to you about staying persistent, consistent in your faith, even in the times we would know as the end times. And he says, I want to help you understand how to keep your focus even when it becomes an unusual and uncertain reality around you. I think we can use a message like this along about right now. If you go back into chapter 17 and you come down to verse 22, it starts talking to us about the second coming of the Lord, that being the rapture and the end of time. And so when it starts talking about that, it continues on into chapter 18 and it starts talking to us about some very important things that we want to understand. There are four insights I'm going to look at here that show us how to persevere in our faith and prayer in the end times. And here would be what the scripture would say to us. The first insight we learn is the example is described in this parable. Verses 2 through 5 talk about it. Notice that there are players in the parable. The video that we just showed talks about parables. A parable is a story that is a truth that lays down beside the truth that is ultimately being presented. So it is a word picture to help you understand the reality of what's coming. And in this word picture, Jesus says, there is an irreverent judge. So we kind of have this mental image of this irreverent judge. He runs a civil court in the communities and in the area around. And so as he oversees this region, they will take down his tent and move it to a new part of the province, and he'll do all the things he needs to do in his work as a judge. Then they'll tear down the tent and they'll move it to another place. But look what it says about this person and his, his uh, persona. This guy does not respect God. Look at verse 4. He does not respect God. He has no sympathy. He has no compassion. None. That's who Jesus sets up in this story. He does not honor God. He does not respect God. He does not fear God. God has no place in his life. Yet he's the one who is judging. So you can put in the courtroom, in God we trust, but if the judge doesn't, it kind of gives a lopsided reality in the courtroom. And so this judge, according to Jesus, does not love God, and he does not love people, the two great commandments. He's very self-centered. He's just here to do his job, get a paycheck, keep peace in the community, and that's it. Then it talks about, in verse 3, the lady. She is a widow. I don't know how recently she would have been widowed. Parables don't give you all the details. But she has been widowed, meaning that her husband has passed away. In this case, we're to understand that she does not have a lot going for her. As a matter of fact, she's not asking for more to be given to her than what she deserves. I think that interesting. She's not asking for more to be given to her than she deserves. 
but she has had an injustice levied against her in the community in some way. Perhaps her home was taken from her. Perhaps, I don't know what, was done to her. But she, she comes to the judge and says, can you have some mercy on me? Just allow me to experience what I should experience. I'm not asking for more. I'm just asking for what I should experience in this moment. And I'm thinking about people in all countries around the world right now and what they might be wishing for, yet they are surrounded by unjust judges all the way around. Do not fear God. Do not fear or respect people. This is absolutely amazing here. Now, in this time period that Jesus is talking, it's very interesting because the, the, the widow has no real place in court. She has no real standing in court. It's an unfortunate time in history, but she had no voice in court. And no husband to stand beside her. Her voice is even muted further. Yet she wants to see something done. Verse 5, she wants protection from her adversary. Whoever is bugging her, whatever is happening to her, she is coming and asking for vindication. Could you just send the law? Could you just pronounce judgment on this to make everything fair? And the thing about it is, she comes back to him, and she comes back to him, and she comes back to him. So let's put it in contemporary terms. She packs her lunch, and whatever town he's in with his tent setting up to judge, she is showing up. She has her sack lunch with her. She's going nowhere. She's here to be seen. She's here hoping to be heard. She's here hoping to get a decision that will help her. They close down the tent and the shop. He has done nothing for her. And she hears they're going to be at another province, another town. The next day, she packs up her lunch the next day. She goes over to the next town and she begins to sit there. Have you ever gone up against a judge like that? Have you ever gone up against an unfair situation like that? Have you ever gone up against an obstacle that you feel like is chiseling granite in your life? And you don't think you have any recourse. In the end of times, he said this could happen to us. And so he says, I want to teach you about it. Now, this judge developed a little bit of a conscience because he was worried about the public around him and what they would think. He kind of started thinking about that. And your Bible says that he did not want to get... I'm going to go ahead and translate the Greek out this way. He did not want to get a black eye in the public opinion. He didn't want them to decide, well, you really are no good. You're so mean toward this lady who has no, no standing. And at the end of time, there's possible that we'll have no recourse on some things. And we may wish that we did have recourse. We may not have recourse. But Jesus is teaching us the difference between an earthly judge and our heavenly judge in this parable, and it's important for us to see. Estee Lauder. Anybody ever heard of Estee Lauder? If you have, say yes. Cool name, right? Estee. wonder what all that might mean, but anyway, Estee Lauder. Estee uh, wasn't always a household name. As a matter of fact, she had just developed her little her little line of product and was excited about it. A few people had, had encouraged her. So she went uh, to meet Marie Weston, who was in charge of some of the American Merchandising Corporation, and she asked for an appointment. She was told that uh, she did not have an appointment, and she wasn't going to get any kind of an appointment soon. And she said, that's okay, I'll just sit here in the lobby and wait for her. And they said, ma'am, she is not uh, going to see you because you're not on her schedule. She said, oh, I don't mind. I'll just stay right here anyway. She's going to come through here sometime. She had packed her lunch, 
and she ate her lunch. She saw salespeople come and go. She stayed there at 5.15 in the afternoon. Finally, Miss Weston comes out, realizes that Estee Lauder has been there, and says, your persistence is attractive to me. Show me what you've got. She did, and she said, well, I don't have a lot of room in my stores, but I like what you're showing me. I think we're going to promote you. She stayed persistent in her pursuit that she might be heard. Some people who know very little about praying are going to find real trouble in the end time because it's going to be tough, and you're going to want to know how to pray and be persistent and consistent in your praying. The second insight is this. The objective is defined in this parable. I think we could go back to verse 1 and then back into chapter 17. The parable here describes the long-awaited return of Christ. And Jesus is saying to them, I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to grow weary. I want you to understand that it's really going to happen. I've told you. You've heard it prophesied. You will prophesy yourself. It is going to happen. And he says a long wait like with those braces, like with that maternity, likes getting ready to happen even way beyond that with the delay of his return. He says, I want you to understand that it's going to be some tough times ahead. Now, whenever the missionary, 13 of them, went over to Lehighton to set out 100 years ago and to set up their ministry and to try to do some good, they were down along the river and they ended up getting run out by the locals who said, we don't want you here. We don't need you. I'm glad they didn't do that to us whenever we planted our church over there recently because all people everywhere need Jesus. But that's a history of what happened over there. Persecution, unusual times, they will happen. During World War II, while London was being bombed, the church put a sign out and said, if your knees start knocking, kneel on them. (laughs) Not much hope necessarily, but a lot of hope. In other words, we have a choice to embrace our faith or to embrace our fears. I'm amazed at the number of Christians who are involved in sensationalism. Because right now it's easy to get wild-eyed and go toward the, gravitate toward the people who will give the most wild predictions and gravitate toward the most bizarre possibilities available to us. When the Lord has invited us to be in, involved in prayer and involved in not losing heart, yet to be very aware that he will return. And we're supposed to be involved in reaching our neighbors and our loved ones. So what happens to us whenever we know the Lord is going to return? What happens to us when we know the the, uh, end of time will happen and we could be living right now in even the very last of days? I don't know. No one knows. Jesus doesn't even know the day or the hour when he'll return, according to your Bible. Yet he knows he will return. What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to continue in our hope. We're supposed to continue in holy living and the development of a holy life. Do you read your Bible? Do you not just read the passages you like, but do you read your Bible? Do you pray besides just in the hour we come together on a Sunday? And another thing I think that this does to us, it prompts us to reach our world around us. Pastor Justin just talked about the signs and, and uh, he and uh, Kelly um, helped produce these. It's a wonderful design. I have one in my front yard and they have the wire back there and the sign. They can put it all together for you and get it 
ready for you to take home today. And I put one in my yard and was glad to do it. It is a little testimony to somebody somewhere that I have faith in Christ, that I believe in him, that he's the answer in a world that has no hope. He, he is providing that kind of hope. This is why we went into Palmerton. This is why we went into Lehighton. And this is why we want to go into other towns. We want to be a presence. This is why we're online right now. This is why we want to continue to be able to make the gospel available. Titus in the New Testament puts it this way in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-absorbed, upright. Instead, it causes us to live self-controlled lives that are upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting on him, and he's going to come. When Janelle Guzman McMillan came to our church, and she started sharing her story, and when you Google last survivor of the World Trade Center, her picture and story come up. When she was here, she told how she was waiting and trapped for 27 hours in the rubble. Her leg was pinned, and she couldn't get it out. And she wanted some help, and she wanted some hope, and she was praying. And if you heard her tell her story, and you were here, and you remember her story, Janelle said, as I was trapped, there was someone who was with me, and I, I know he was Paul, some guy named Paul. And she said, he kept encouraging me to hold on and to not give in and to not give up, even though I wondered a few times if I might die. She said, I chose not to give up. He kept encouraging me. When they finally rescued her, she said, where's Paul? They said, who are you talking about? She said, Paul, the guy that was with me. And they said, there is no guy named Paul among us. We don't know who you're talking about. I like that. It seems as though the angel of the Lord encamped around about her in her great hour of fear and distress. But she said, finally, in that 27th hour, she was able to be freed and she was able to be brought back home. But she said, I did some things. I sent up some prayer to God, knowing that I could be at my end. And I made some promises. I'll be right by my husband. We'll go ahead and get married. They weren't married. They were living together. Well, I'll be right by him. And she said, I'll also honor you all the days of my life. And I will go to church and I will be active in my faith and I will read my Bible and I will honor you in all my ways. And she's living up to that potential right now. Even when she was on a secular, very secular interview with someone who is not a Christian and not a Christ follower at all, she still shared her story of faith, how she made the commitment to God and she's still walking in faith with him. And so the Lord is saying to us, no matter what happens, I want you to understand that you're going to be able to make it. And then verses 6 through 8, look at it. We see an insight here. The explanation is given of this parable. Jesus compares that evil judge to God. The cruel judge is indifferent. And it seems like God can be indifferent whenever Christ doesn't return. And you may have a loved one who's gone through some persecution. Or maybe you're in another country right now. I was contacted this week about helping some people in Africa that are going through pure torture right now. Can you help? Can you be with? Can you stand in the gap? Will you be available? Will your church do anything to help us? Where will you come in this whole situation? They're wanting some sort of answer because of the injustices. Seems like Christ's delay. 
brings some blessings, but it also sometimes seems to bring some curses, doesn't it? But let's look at the blessings for a moment. Here's Rahab. Rahab has been a prostitute, whether by choice or force, we do not know. But she lives along the wall of Jericho. And when the spies come in, she says to them, I will protect you now if you'll protect me later. You know the story. And when they march around and blast and do all that they do, the walls crash down. But there is one house standing, one home still erect and standing there safe. And it is a home of this lady. And she is mentioned in the genealogy of Christ in the New Testament. Let me tell you something. He will answer the prayer of those who call on him. And I'm glad he's delayed just a little while because you and I both have had some relatives who do not know Jesus. And if the end happened right now, they would not go to heaven because they do not know Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't trust in him, you will not receive the gift of eternal life and heaven. That comes only through Jesus. God did not die on the cross just because he wanted something to do. He did not just die on the cross to create religion. He died on the cross that he might create a relationship. And then all the people made a bunch of religions out of it, denominations out of it. There's one true church, universal, All who trust in Jesus Christ are part of the church, regardless of whether they're Wesleyan or Methodist or whoever they are. It does not matter. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed without condemnation. Can I get a witness in this house today? That's good preaching, Kev. Keep going, baby. And so I'm glad that he stayed. I'm glad that he delayed so Peter would be able to be changed from wishy-washy person to the great solid rock Eventually, he would help him through all of the defecting and all the denial that he did. And Jesus would have patience and mercy with him. Aren't you glad for the patience and mercy of Jesus? Man, I am. I'm just going to say I am. I just flat out tell you I'm glad for it personally. But I'm glad for it for you because I know a lot of your stories. And I know this. He waited and waited patiently just like the prodigal's father. And he waited and waited. And eventually you came around the bend and he was looking for you. He didn't come to you with a billy club. He didn't come to you with condemnation. He came to you with forgiveness. He came to you with hope. He came to you with life, life more abundant. He came to set you free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed without any condemnation. Thanks be to God for the gift of salvation that is available to anyone who will call on Him. I thank God for the mercy that He has given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jim and Carol Simula raised up a great ministry, and it seems like the greater you go for God, the harder Satan works on your family. If he cannot get your marriage, he'll go after your kids. He came after Pam and I in our marriage. Man, he thought he was going to get us, but he didn't. And then he started going after our kids one by one. And man, he worked them over. Oh, my stars. I don't even want to talk about it. But I mean, nights of praying and, and, and days of praying and tears and crying out and prayers and believing God for all the things in our marriage and in our children's relationship. I thank God for the mercy that he has shown to us. Second Peter 3 and 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think is turtle slow. KF version. No, he's being patient for your sake. He did not want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. 
So the symbolist prayed on for their daughter, Chrissy. Didn't even know where she was. She ended up coming back while he was getting ready for church. He felt so empty, almost hypocritical going to church to preach, saying, God loves you. There's hope for you. You're going to make it. When his own family was falling apart, there have been a few times I've stood here feeling the same way. I didn't say it at the time, but I felt it. Nope, he doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to come to repentance. And that means you sitting there watching me eating your pancakes right now. You too. I see you (laughs) in my mind. And Kanye West, he's something. And Justin Bieber, he's something. And Christine Kane, brought out of an orphanage, adopted into the poorest part of the country then, became a trophy of grace and is a preacher today. An inspiration to many, my daughter among them. I thank God for Christine Kane. She may see it different than I do. I don't care if she sees Jesus. I like that. Christ is merciful, wants all of us to come to repentance, and I think that's why I delayed. Do I get excited about the second coming? Yes. Sometimes I go out and look at the east. When I finally figure out where it is, I look at the east, and sometimes I say, Lord, I don't even have a clue what direction I'm looking right now, but you're going to come out on the clouds one day, so if this is one of them, come on down. I get excited about it. Does the Wesleyan Church believe in this? Yes. I don't always preach sensationalism all the time, because I'm not here to freak you out. But let me tell you, the end will come. Christ will return. We refer to that as a rapture. Okay, just so you know, we believe that. And I say it with love, but he's coming back. And then he's going to set up his millennial reign, thousand-year reign. Satan will be loose a little while. And then there's going to be the eternal heaven we're going to be in. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. That last insight. Man, time is getting away. Listen fa- Can you listen faster? If you can, say yes. All right, look at verse 8. There's a great question asked here. I've always wondered what this question meant. Thought I might have a clue, but I think I might have a better clue now. I'm not sure. Still studying it out. Will he find faith on the earth? I've got a zillion commentaries in my study and books, and I have one at home that duplicates it. And William Barclay, he gave this answer. I think it's good. He said, when he asked whether the Son of Man will find faith on the earth. He's not suggesting there'll be no believers. He is saying that the characteristic of the world's people at the time will not be faith. Did you, did you, did you know that it's not real popular to be a Christian right now? You, you didn't know that? Not real popular. That's why we need to pray for our kids, our youth, our children, our teens, and pray for one another and quit picking each other. We don't want to pick each other. When it says, will he find faith on the earth? I'm going to tell you this. I think you can find faith at BWC. If I'm here, I know he will because I believe. If you're here, I believe we're going to, he's going to find it here. The doctrine of the end time is not folklore. Jesus talks about it. And if you want to read some more about it, read more of what is read here in Luke. And then go over into Matthew chapter 24, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Pretty amazing what he says. He doesn't talk about that like it's some kind of folklore. It's going to happen. 
going to be amazing. Read about throughout the scriptures. I know you read your scriptures, so you want to know it. The Apostle Paul spoke in literal terms. Tomorrow we'll have funeral viewing for Mel, and then we'll be having a funeral for Mel on Tuesday at the cemetery. I'll be reading this passage. I'm going to read it now, getting in practice for then. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. For the Lord himself, I like that, the Lord himself, not a stand-in, not a duplicate, not a replica, nothing like that, not an angel. The Lord himself, Jesus. He will come from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. It's going to happen. I don't know what it will sound like. It's going to be good. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Poof, coming out of the cemeteries. Coming out of the lakes where they couldn't find them. Coming out of concrete where somebody buried somebody else. The believers. Now the dead outside of Christ aren't coming up, but the dead in Christ are coming up at this point. They are coming up. And then what happens to us? They will rise first, verse 17. After that, we are still alive and are left. will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so will we ever be with the Lord caught up that's where we get the idea of rapture let us let us therefore freak each other out with these words no that isn't what he says no verse 18 says therefore come encourage one another or comfort one another with these words be inspired by these words the return of Jesus is sure let's land we're going to land. If you're ready to land, fasten your seatbelt. Put your tray in the upright position. Here we go. Dr. Billy Graham put it this way, and I love it. He says this, are you ready? I know that I'm prepared to meet God because one day many years ago I confessed my sins and asked the Lord to come into my life and to make of me what he wanted. We believe in church membership. It's an important step. We believe in water baptism. It is an important step. But the ultimate step of faith, the ultimate step of faith goes beyond those things or serving and volunteering at the church or donating to the church. It goes beyond that. It is you expressing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that I trust in you and you alone as my Savior. That, ladies and gentlemen, is it. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to forgive your sin? And are you walking with him and living for him every day? That's what he wants. Every day. I think this is what Luke 18, 1 through 8, is teaching us. I came and said what I was to say. I don't know what you'll do with what I've said or something that the Lord may have spoken into you while I've been preaching or while we've been going through the service today. But you must decide what you will do with what he has said to you today. What will you do with Jesus? If you've never accepted him or received him, I ask you to do that and to not take another day for granted I'm not going to play on your emotions for the sake of manipulation, but I'm going to express something that could sound like I am expressing a manipulation of your emotion, but I don't mean it that way. 
I've preached a lot of very first messages that some people have ever heard. Ever heard. And I have preached a lot of last sermons people have ever heard. Met a guy who started attending our church down the drive-in. He would come and sit right there with his wife Sunday after Sunday sitting there and stare at me while I'm preaching soaking it in I missed him he wasn't here he's a young healthy man maybe 50 I wondered where he went just a couple of weeks ago and we've had about a dozen funerals from the church so I don't make all of them but this week Pastor Justin went to his funeral. By all chances, he should be here now. So I want you to do today what you wish you would have done then. That's all. That's it. That's why I'm here on mission work in Pennsylvania. To reach your heart with him. That's it.